Basketball in LA is unmatched. All the opportunities that I've ever been given in my life came from being here in LA. People might think it's cool because, you know, Hollywood, the weather. No, man, it's beautiful out here, but at the same time, it's hardcore. In LA, you can get embarrassed to quit. Los Angeles is the mecca of basketball. I think it's transitioned from the East Coast now to the West Coast. It's a little flashy. Lay back, smooth skills, but at the same time, got a lot of dog. This is Game Behind the Game, a podcast designed to shed light on the individuals that have impacted the basketball culture of the greater LA area. These players, coaches, and trainers have had their own unique impact on the growth of the LA hoop scene, but not the opportunity to share their wisdom and experiences on a greater platform. The goal is to inspire the next generation to do the things that inspire them the most and help create a platform that will impact others by building lasting relationships in the basketball community to show the youth how to navigate the same issues that may have held back previous eras, to build the work ethic and leadership needed to advance their basketball careers, and most importantly, to motivate and stimulate the personal development of players inside and outside of their athletic identity. What does it take to win is a question that's asked in every sport at every level. In order to really stabilize a program, you need to lay a foundation to change that culture completely, create a winning environment and recruit the right kids to come to your program who want to be a part of a rebuilding process is a whole different story. Insert Jeff Harada, Cal State Fullerton's head women's basketball coach. I met coach Harada on my little sister's official school visit to Fullerton, where I got the chance to sit down with him and talk basketball man to man. It's safe to say, I think my sister is in good hands. Uh, Jeff Harada, head women's basketball coach, Cal State Fullerton University. Um, you know, got started coaching basketball at the college level, you know, kind of right out of college. Uh, just knew I wanted to have a career in athletics. Uh, wasn't an office nine to five cubicle person. You know, I did not want that. I wanted to enjoy what I was doing, want to have a meaningful career, and um, I grew up playing sports, played four different sports all through high school, and I knew that's what I wanted to, to be around, so, uh, you know, I actually uh, got an opportunity, I graduated from the University of Colorado uh, in Boulder, and uh, actually had to volunteer, you know, my first year, because uh, I had to earn my way on, you know, I was a team manager on the men's team um, for two years, finishing out you know, my undergrad, and, um, you know, really had to learn the ropes there, got an opportunity to work for with some really good coaches and some good players, uh, especially in that conference, uh, the Big 12 at the time, mm-hmm. you know, we were, you know, Kansas was always the big dog, you know, Paul Pierce, Ray Friends, all those guys, and, I mean, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Baylor, you know, big schools, mm-hmm. um, so every night was a battle, you know, and you get to Watch guys like Roy Williams coach at Kansas, you know, Norm Stewart at Missouri, um, you know, Bobby Knight at Texas Tech. Um, you know, in 1997, we went to the NCAA tournament, and uh, Chauncey Billups was our point guard. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in Winston-Salem in the East Regional, uh, North Carolina. Upset Indiana in the first round, and then uh, drew North Carolina, the top wow. seed, in the second round. and. Um, for those who know basketball back then in 97, I mean, the Tar Heel starting five was 
Ed Coda, Shimon Williams, Vince Carter, Anton Jameson, and Serge Zwicker. <laughs> you know, and we're sitting there trying to, I'm watching the coaches comp- compile the scouting report, and it's like, yeah, how are we going to stop this guy? How are we going to guard this guy? And so, you know, it was a lot of learning, you know, breaking off. And back in the day, we didn't have the technology that mm-hmm. they have now, and we used VHS tapes. It was stop, record, we want for wine. You know, we actually put VHS tapes in the mail to send on film exchange and you had to rely on that there was nothing through email or clips or on the phone or anything you know we needed the tape right away we had to drive to the airport i had to drive to the airport you know go to fedex wait there till they open say hey i'm expecting this package we need it asap you know pick it up drive it back to the office you know just so we can watch the film but i mean you know that was just how it was back then and it was a good opportunity for me to just get started in my career, get get my foot in the door um, to see if this is what I really wanted to do. Uh, and I, like I said, I had some good coaches around me uh, who I worked for and worked with and um, really sacrificed a lot that volunteer year. You know, I mean, not knowing what to expect, but still got to make a living, you know, got to figure out how I can eat and pay rent and all that stuff. And so I took a part-time job um at a hotel working graveyard shift okay. you know working uh 11 at night to 7 in the morning uh three four days a week and uh after work at seven get off go home and head straight to the office and uh, start working we had practice in the afternoon at one o'clock so um three o'clock three thirty we're done go home get to bed and wake up all again. over again <laughs> so um but it's it's just you know, when you're given an opportunity to prove yourself because you want something, you'll find a way to get it done and to do what you need to do. And I think that was my whole mindset was I need to show that if I get hired, if a job does open up or a position opens up and I someone can help me, um, I need to know that I need to prove myself so they can refer me and, you know, put their name on the line for me to get hired somewhere. Um and it worked out the following year. There was a, a spot open on staff, and uh, my head coach, you know, actually hired me, you know, when it opened up. So I was in the right place, right time. But, again, I felt like I I deserved it. You know, I felt like I really earned it. Um, and I'll tell you the truth. I mean, <laughs> I did some things that probably weren't even related to basketball. You know, I mean, okay. You know, I'm not not anything illegal or anything immoral, but just you know, I mean, I was like a gopher. I had to do whatever needed to be done. Like I said, you know, someone needed to pick up the VHS tape at the airport at seven in the morning. You know, I'm the one they're gonna call to go get it. You know, someone's got to do this. Someone's got to go. You know, clean up the locker room or sweep this or do that or. I mean, we're in, we're playing in a Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico in a tournament that uh that year and. We played the late game on one night, and we had the early game the following day, mm-hmm. following morning. So um, just so happened, because of the outcome of the game, we were wearing the same uniforms we wore that night. And so in Puerto Rico, the laundromats were all closed at 9 p.m., so there was nowhere to go wash the jerseys mm-hmm. and get them ready. So up till 3 in the morning, hand-washing all the uniforms in the bathtub. <laughs> you know? That's the occasion. And that's something <laughs> where... You know, I mean, I was like, man, is this, do I have to do this? You know, but someone's got to do it, Yeah. you know, and 
someone once told me that, you know, if you do thing or if you only do the job that you get paid to do, um, you know, well, is that what it, how it goes? Some, if, if you're willing to do something that you don't get paid for, eventually you will get paid for what you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but it was just a way, I mean, I wanted to prove that no matter what you tell me to do, I'm reliable, I'm going to get done, you can count on me to do it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was <laughs> tough, you know, hand-washing all the uniforms. I mean, I'm not just talking jerseys and shorts. It was tights, socks, everything. everything. <laughs> you know, and then in Puerto Rico, it's humid, so it doesn't just dry. We, I hung it all on my balcony, you know, got up in the morning after a few hours of sleep, as soon as the laundromat opened, collected everything, went to put in the dryer because they weren't dry yet, but got it all done, you know, and that was just my way of letting my head coach know, hey, whatever you need, I can do it, you know. But long story short, you know, got hired um, and got my first taste of NCAA Division I men's basketball. and I mean, it was awesome. You know, this, at, at that moment, I just knew this is what I want to do. You know, I want to coach in college. I want to be able to teach, to mentor kids, you know. Um, and at that moment, I was young, and that wasn't my real, I guess, perception yet about teaching and mentoring it was like this is cool you know I get mm-hmm. to travel I get to be around athletes big time and you know this is what I want to do be around the sport uh, as I got older you know um, you know I kind of realized what m- more goes into coaching you know the opportunity to mentor the opportunity mm-hmm. to lead mm-hmm. to teach kids things um, that was a big deal for me but uh, the tough part for me was I was a young guy um, bottom on the totem pole, you know, and it was just hard for me to move up. You know, I was stuck in that bottom position for, you know, a good three years, three, four years, and um, it kind of took a toll. Okay. You know, just... How so? Just, uh, I mean, I wanted more. I wanted more responsibilities, you know. Um, I felt like I had mastered everything that I was doing, and it got to the point where it wasn't... Meaning, not not that it wasn't meaningful, but it was just I wanted more. Okay. You know, um, so I got an opportunity um, to actually move back home to Hawaii. I got a call from a guy um, who knew my high school PE teacher. My high school PE teacher was a strength coach at a at Tulane University, and um, Hawaii Pacific University had just hired this guy to be the new athletic director and head men's basketball coach. So he had gotten my name and, you know, said I was from there. I've been coaching in, you know, Colorado. Mm-hmm. So he had called and asked if I was interested. And um, it was an opportunity to do more, you know, to actually get out and recruit, to actually do more things hands-on. Mm-hmm. So, um, and a chance to go home, you mm-hmm. know, so which was always nice. But, you know, it was tough because I was in Colorado for... for 12 years or so you know it was kind of like oh, okay. home yeah but you know the chance for me to I guess broaden my horizons and kind of just elevate my career you know was okay. the next step I guess okay. and it just made sense so you know I did it uh, went home and uh, Hawaii Pacific was a division 2 school at the okay. time uh, you know so was on the men's staff there for a couple years and um, it was good it was a good experience now the difference was Division two, Division one, you know, not, just different budgets, you okay. know, different, uh, different staffs. You know, we didn't have the full allotment of assistant coaches full time, you know. So I was actually a full time employee, 
but in order for me to be considered full time, I had other duties. Got you it. know, as more than just an assistant coach. So I was technically an assistant to the athletic director slash assistant basketball coach. Uh, just a creative title, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> a way to get you paid more. But, um, you know, so I was able to do that. And then that, you know, position kind of got eliminated because, you know, do you really need an assistant to the AD, you know? Um, and so I actually was put into a sports information director role. Okay. So now I was an assistant men's basketball coach slash sports information director. What did you do? <laughs> so SID, Sports Information Director, is basically oversees media relations for all the sports. So I needed to be able to go to all sporting events, men's, women's basketball, baseball, softball, soccer, uh, tennis, cross country, and golf for the sports that they had. Mm-hmm. But it was doing official stats for home games, okay. writing press releases, updating the website. You know, all the web, what, what's on the website, on all the athletic sites, that's the sports information director's job, you know, to put their bios on there, to create the web page, you know, all that stuff. So that in itself is That's a lot. It's a lot. You know, and I was a journalism major for a little bit. I ended up graduating with a kinesiology degree, but so writing wasn't hard for me. Okay. It was something I was, I'd like to do, you know. Um, but it was more just the time management of having to spread myself out to go to a baseball game during the spring, then go to a softball game. You know, then go to tennis match, and then in the fall, I mean, we in the spring we still have basketball, you know. So being there and trying to do all this stuff. Luckily, I had student assistants who I could send out and help me out to different events. But at the end of the day, you know, I had to make sure what we put out on our website as far as a story made sense and it was yeah. accurate. And the stats had to be official stats because yeah. you send them into the NCAA. So we couldn't screw up the stats. You know, they all have to be accurate. So I have to review everything before we submitted anything. That's big time. So it was a lot. You know? <laughs> it, it was a lot. Um, but that was, you know, it was a good experience. You know, okay. it, it got me another thing on my resume. You know, hey, I, I, I have experience as SID. You know, so that was a good thing. And you get to meet so many people. You know, because you're constantly in contact with other schools' SIDs. Mm-hmm. You know, exchanging stats, information, all this stuff. So... Um, you know, when you, whenever you can expand your network of people that you know, it's always a good thing, especially in athletics. So, because you just never know. And that's the one thing in this business that, you know, I think people really need to understand is you can never burn a bridge. Because yeah. you just never know down the road if that one person is going to be the one who can help you one day. You know, maybe they can make a call for you for a job. Maybe they're on staff at that school. And if you've done something to them and you're applying for a job there, you know, they can cause some problems. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so that's the one thing you learn is just, you know, you never burn bridges in this business. But anyway, um, funny thing happened in 2007. Uh, our women's coach at Hawaii Pacific got let go, and um, they were coming off um, a 2 and 25 season. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I've been to a, I had to go to a few of the games as SID, and it was. Just, it wasn't a good it was not pretty to watch them play um, so it was a little frustrating but she ended up getting let go and my athletic director at the time you know she had asked if I had interest in taking over the women's program and um, at first I thought yeah no way okay. <laughs> what um, made you what made you come to the shift from going from being around men's basketball to women's basketball well I think what ultimately made my decision, easy was I thought about it for a few days and it was a chance for me to be a head coach okay you know and for me it was 
is this the career for you? You have a chance to run your own program now. You have a chance to call the shots. Why not take it and see if you can actually do it? Or maybe you should look at another career. You know, again, right place, right time. Mm-hmm. You know, so timing is a lot. You know, a lot of luck, a lot of timing, a lot of faith. Um, definitely in my career, but this, again, good timing. So I decided, why not? You know, can't do worse than 2 and 25. At least I thought so. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, so I ended up taking the job. And uh, again, part of the... So no longer could I be SID as a head coach. Because it was just going to be too much. So in order to, uh, I guess, pay me my salary and give me a little bit more money for being the head coach, I was now promoted to associate athletic director in charge of compliance which anybody will tell you in college athletics compliance is way worse than being an SID. <laughs> <laughs> so what responsibilities did you have as like well the as the compliance person you're basically you're like the police right I mean you're not necessarily the police but you're overseeing and making sure every program is following all the rules okay you know you gotta turn in squad lists you gotta turn in all, make sure all the athletes are eligible Initial eligibility for freshmen, transfer eligibility, continuing eligibility. Mm-hmm. Are they staying eligible? What mm-hmm. classes are they taking? You know, are they in their major? You know, um, is every program staying within the rules? Are they practicing the right amount of times? Are they recruiting any recruiting violations? Mm-hmm. You know, and so now it was a lot more pressure in what I was doing because it wasn't just, well, if we screw up something, uh, it's just, you know, we can change it on the website. Now it's like, you could get fined or, you know. This is someone's future now. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the, the school can get fined if we break a rule. Yeah. You know, and I don't catch it. Or if we don't turn it in. Or if we don't, you know, if we don't report it. You know, um, kids could be ineligible and be playing because of my mistake. And we could forfeit wins or something. Wow. You know. <laughs> and so, I mean, every, you know, it's just there's just so many things. And yeah. compliant, there's reporting, you know. There's all the um, eligibility reporting and the... Um, progress toward degree and all that uh, what do you call it the APR stuff okay. you know so you gotta make sure and turn all that stuff the, they, they want the graduation rates right the four year graduation rates every year so you gotta go back to all the classes check every place there was times I was in the office till midnight you know just getting things in because there was a deadline you know to turn stuff in and I was the only one doing it, doing it. you know and so I didn't have any training in compliance my a- my AD at the time was a former NCAA compliance person so she helped me as much as possible um, but at the same time it was here's what you gotta do figure it out yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so as we know that's a full time job being a head coach is a full time job you know so trying to mix both of those together you know and try and- in becoming a compliance director, did that? Do you think that helped you become a better coach? Oh, for sure. It just helped me become a better person and better professional. You know, because now it's detail, attention to detail. You know, every you know, you get to know the rule book inside and out for mm-hmm. one, um, and you know, you just you have more responsibility. So just you 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 got to be on top of things. You know, you can't let things slide. You can't. Um, turn a blind eye to stuff you know because at the end of the day it's going to come back to me you know so I thought that if I failed at my compliance job it would affect my coaching job you know because it's like okay well he's the head women's basketball coach 
but he's also the director of compliance. Is he following the rules for his program? Yeah. You know, or is he trying to bend the rules so his program does better? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's just a lot of, it was tough, you know, for sure. But again, another different um, job description, mm-hmm. you know, for my resume. It was something where now it was not just coaching, but it was SID work and compliance work, you know. So I felt like I was really qualified to be an administrator, for sure, mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. college level, um, but that's not what I wanted to do. Um, and that was a part of the reason why I left. You know, I mean, long story short, again, my first year I inherited a 2-25 and you know, win team and mm-hmm. um, I had the same players and uh, won eight games with that group my first year. So okay. we kind of, you know, we quadrupled our wins, I guess. And then that next season overhauled the whole program. Brought in nine freshmen, okay. started three of them, um, went, won 14 games. I think we were 14 and 15, I want to say. And then uh, year three, all, we had the freshman of the year in that, that class. And then year three, with all sophomores, we won the conference. You know, we beat Grand Canyon, who was – Grand Canyon University was the team to beat. They had mm-hmm. won the conference the last three, four years. So um, – and we beat them. And we are the first team to do that. And – so it was a good feeling, you know. It was rewarding for me. It was satisfying to think, all right, we did it. I can actually do this. Yeah. You know, I know how to build a program. I know how to run a program. I know how to recruit. Um, and it was very satisfying at the moment, you know. Um, but at the same time, I still felt incomplete because I felt my life wasn't just coaching. It was the administrative side was really, I guess, uh, I think it was stopping me, not stopping, holding me back from being a full-time coach. Got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I just thought, what more could I do if I had more time? You know, if I had more. So, I needed, I knew I needed to find a situation where I, I just wanted to coach. I didn't want to be an administrator. Mm-hmm. So, um, stayed one more year. Um, again, finished second in the league, I think my second, my, my fourth year. Um, and then, uh, actually went on to become an assistant at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis. Mm-hmm. So at Navy, um, Division One school, mm-hmm. Patriot League, high academic, obviously. Service mm-hmm. Academy is a different animal, you know. Um, but was able to, you know, just coach there and kind of get my feet wet at the Division One level on the women's side now, which is huge for me. And on the East Coast, because everything I knew was West Coast. I was a West Coast, West Coast, West Coast, and now I had a chance to go to the East Coast and kind of expand my recruiting contacts, you know, see what it's like out there, um, see the different leagues out there. Mm-hmm. So just network with different people. Um, so I was there for three years, and we had a good run. Um, you know, they were a good program when I got there, and we, they continue, we continued to be good. Um, we won two conference championships, um, and then uh, went to three postseasons when I was there, went to one NIT and two NCAA tournaments. Okay. So... Um, Again, just playing, you know, when you get to go to the NCAA tournament and play against Maryland, you know, who's a premier top women's program. Kentucky, another mm-hmm. top program, you know. Um, but seeing how to build championship teams and how to be successful. Because in the Patriot League, I mean, you know, the conference tournament, again, it's like the Big West. You get one 
team in the, in the tournament. And that's it. That's it. You're yeah. not going to get in that large. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So with that pressure, you know, how do you win four games in the conference tournament, you know, to, to get you there? And uh, we were to do it twice, you know, just to, so. Um, again, the Naval Academy is a different breed of kids. I'll tell mm-hmm. you that. You know, those kids are self-motivated. I mean, they, they're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will tell you that none of the kids who played basketball for us ever thought growing up as a kid they were going to go to the Naval Academy. They came there because of the chance to play Division One basketball. And after learning about the benefits of a service academy, it was a no-brainer for them. You know, and they were just those types of motivated kids mm-hmm. who wanted to do it. So, um, but yeah, I was there three years, had a great time, great experience. And then uh, kind of thought, okay, I want to get back to the West Coast. You know, just, it's hard going from a head coach to an assistant. Always. You know, it was, it was different. Um, not in a bad way. Um, I did learn a lot, you know, while I was there for sure. And I needed it. I really needed it. Um, so I'm very grateful for that opportunity. But um, there was just times, you know, when you're used to being a head coach and you want to do something. But you can't because now you're But yeah, you, know, you can always suggest it, you know, and then at the end of the day, your, your head coach is going to make the final decision. Mm-hmm. And not that I disagreed with her on, on much, but it was just, you know, I miss being able to do that, you okay. know. And so... Um, I felt like I learned a lot. I was grateful for the time there. and um, There was a job open on the West Coast in Washington State, uh, Central Washington University, and Division II school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was familiar with the, with, the, with the teams in the conference because being in Hawaii Pacific, we're Division II as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, actually uh, got hired there, and uh, it was a similar situation to Hawaii Pacific mm-hmm. where they were the bottom team in the league. And the GNAC, the Great Northwest Athletic Conference, mm-hmm. that's a tough conference. You know, it's one of the tougher Division II conferences in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say power rankings. They're always in the top three or four in the nation. So I knew it was a tough league, but, you know, the challenge was to bring them to the top, you know, or improve on their, you know, program. And um, it was tough, you know, um, again, inheriting the worst team and, seeing the team that I inherited and uh that first year you know we uh I think they had won seven the year before okay. I got hired uh we won 12 I think my first year okay. so we, we did a little better okay um actually got into the conference tournament there's 11 teams in that league and the top six get to the conference tournament okay so it's a lot tougher to get to the yeah. conference tournament um, and they had never been there to the conference tournament ever so how was that as a coach it was, with a team that's never really been there before? Yeah, so it was just, well, first it was changing the culture, you know, their mentality, uh, understanding, teaching them how to win. They didn't know how to win. Okay. You know, they didn't know what it took to win. They all wanted to win, but they weren't sure how, you know. And so it was kind of sharing different philosophies, um, teaching them, uh, motivating them to do what they thought they couldn't do, mm-hmm. uh, but showing them know the little things and the details and the consistency that you need to have day in and day out if you want to be a championship or a winning program so um you know i won't say we were the worst talented team but we definitely weren't the most talented team but i thought we squeezed out as much as we could out of those kids and like i said the seniors i think there were three or four on that team Mm -hmm. and they got to experience the conference tournament for the first time ever and it was very rewarding for them In hindsight, the first thing in building a successful program 
is talking to the current group of players and getting them to buy into the vision. The players need to buy into what the coach wants to do to help them achieve goals. Once the vision and goals are shared, including the things that are going to be done differently, coaches want the players to commit themselves to that process. And it is a process, not a quick fix. It's going to take some time, and coaches want players to dedicate themselves to doing everything that's asked of them, in hopes that if they do so, results will follow. So, um, you know, then it was time to recruit, obviously. You know, that's how you win. You, got, you know, you got to find the, not just the best players, but you need the right players mm-hmm. who are going to fit your system, who are going to fit your culture and what you want, especially when you're building a program or right. trying to change a program. You got to find the right kids. So, um, you know, we did a pretty good job recruiting there. Um, and we had a good, good support from administration. You know, they allowed us scholarships to recruit, which was always good. Um, you know, so second year, I think we won 17, which was, I think, the most since, like, 2004 or something like that. Okay. So for, like, 14, 15, 13 years, I think, at the time. Drought. Yeah, so okay. we won 17 my second year and, again, got to the conference tournament again. And uh, um, my third year, um, I think we won 15 my third year, I want to say. And uh, we improved our standing, and we actually got to the semifinals of the conference tournament. So we won our first game that year in the tournament. Okay. Got to the semis, um, ended up losing to the eventual champs. But um, it was a good year. You know, right. again, um, kept getting better. You know, kept building the program, recruiting better kids. Um, you could just see, you know, going into the next year where those kids I had as freshmen, my first year, were all going to be seniors. You know, we're, we're, I think we we're going to have seven or eight seniors that next year. So the program was set up for success, mm-hmm. you know, so I thought everything was going fine. And then, uh, you know, Cal State Fullerton has an opening. Um, Division One school, closer to home. University of Hawaii is in their conference. You get to go home every year, you know, last place team similar situation mm-hmm. I've been in this twice before can I do it again at the highest level you know those are all the questions going into my head and so um, ended up talking um, you know to the AD here and uh, applying for the job and uh, got interviewed and uh, it progressed to you know next another interview and another and to the point where I actually got hired you know, and uh, just explained what my vision was, um, what I could bring, what my experiences were, what was my philosophy, what's important to me, and how I was going to change the program here. And um, they liked what I was saying, I guess. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I mean, my record spoke for itself. My, mm-hmm. you know, my experiences, and uh, and I was fortunate um, to get hired here. And uh, you know, now here I am, and. After year one, I feel like uh, we're on we're on the right track. You know, um, it was tough. It was a tough first year. Again, last place team in the league, ninth out of nine, won four games last year um, on record. Now it says four, but you know when I looked at the schedule, I I say two because two of those four wins were against non division one schools. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know looking at the hand I was dealt when I got here, and again, changing the culture. You know, that's 
first priority, right? I mean, you gotta get rid of that losing mentality. You gotta let these kids know here's how we're gonna win, right? I know you don't know how. That's why I'm here. So if you buy in and if you believe and if you give me your trust, we're gonna do this together. You know, and it was hard at first. They were used to a certain way, mm-hmm. you know, which was not working. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuses, you know, just a lot of, you know, things that these young kids in this generation always, you know, do. You know, you tell them to do something and the first word out of their mouth is, why? why? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's like, whatever happened to because I said so, because I'm your coach, you know. Yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, I'm sure same with you, you never question your coach. No. Coach might say, run 10 laps. Okay. (laughs) You run 10 laps. You don't ask, you know. But it's different, you know. I mean, I never thought of questioning my coach back then. If I went home and told my parents, yeah, I didn't play much today. Coach didn't play me. You know, they they would tell me, well, you better work harder. Well, you better do something. Figure it out, you know. And I think too many parents today enable their kids. You know, the first thing on their parents was, Really? I'm going to call that coach or I'm going to call the principal. I'm going to call the AD and figure out why you're not playing. <laughs> you know? Yep. And my parents, I mean, it was always like, well, you better listen. You know, you better work harder. You better do this. There's a reason why. Plenty of situations like these can be avoided by asking and knowing what coaches look for. Obviously, coaches want to play a fun brand of basketball. And scoring is exciting and necessary to play the game. But like myself... Coach Harada is a defensive-minded coach. We like our defense to fuel our offense. Not to say we don't have players that can score. But most coaches will take a layup on every shot if they can get it. They want to push in transition and get those easy shots. But also in the half court, they want execution. They want to play unselfish basketball. And at the next level, you have to share the ball. Pass up shots that we can make for shots that you can't miss. There's not going to be a lot of one-on-one individual basketball because everyone at the next level can do that. You have to play team basketball and execute. You have to put pressure on the defense. Teams look for mismatches and look to do different things offensively and force the defense to make adjustments. So you have to be solid. You have to be disciplined and you have to be ready to compete every night. That's the biggest thing. You know, so it's different times, but I get it. But again, it's just so it was, you know, a lot of things that they weren't used to. You know, I had to get them comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, um, that was a one of our models. You know, you have to start being comfortable with feeling uncomfortable because everything we do is going to be uncomfortable for you because you're not used to it. Mm-hmm. If you want to win, mm-hmm. you know, if you want it to change, um, you know, what's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different Exactly, result. right? So we had to change the way we did everything. We changed the way we practiced. We changed the way we lifted. We changed the way we went through preseason, condition. I mean, we changed the way we dressed and traveled. We changed the way we ate. You know, we changed everything about the program. So, and it was a good thing. We changed in a good way. And these kids, they bought in. They really did because they wanted to win. They just, they were hungry for leadership, I guess. And, um... You know, we didn't win a ton. We won eight, but we, again, we doubled our wins technically, quadrupled if you want to go Division One wins. Mm-hmm. Um, it was tough because it was the first time I ever lost 20 games in my career sure. in a season. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look at our final record. Everybody's like, wow, you had a good year. I'm like, yeah, we're 8-21. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's a good year, but, you know, 
going from where we were, I guess, or where they, you know, in the past, um, you could just see we were competitive in a lot of games. I think we could have won three or four more. You know, we lost a double overtime game. We lost a couple at the buzzer. We lost, you know, some really tight games. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that just goes to teaching them how to win a close game. You know, I think that's the tough part. But um, I thought we made strides, you know, with what we had. And um, I think the culture is starting to change. You know, I think people are seeing it, what we do and how we do it. And now it's just a matter of finding the right players in the future, you know. Um, and again, not just the best players, but the right players. Um, and that's, I think, the most important thing for me is, you know, I, I would probably take a lesser talented kid if she were a good person and cared about school, was a great teammate, and was coachable and worked hard. Are those some of the things that you look for in players when you're recruiting? Always. You know, and I tell my staff this. I don't care what high school they go to. I don't care what AU team they play for. All I care about is are they competitive? You know, are they coachable? Do they have character? Good character. Do they have family values? Are they good students? You know, and are they good teammates? Because if you're not a good teammate, I don't care if you average 50 points a game, it's going to be hard to win with, with, with that player because she's going to kill your locker room, you know? And no one wants to play with a kid like that if she's selfish, if she's not a good teammate. Um, those kids are, you know, just good enough to get you fired, you know, because you recruit them, then they destroy your team, you know. So um, not that there's, you know, a ton of those kids out there, but that's just what I'm saying is I would recruit character probably more than I recruit talent. You know, obviously we want talent. Mm-hmm. You want to find the best combination if possible. Mm-hmm. But push come to shove, all things being equal, I would probably take the kid who had higher character versus the kid who didn't. You know, just because those are the kinds of kids that you want when you're building a program and trying to change the culture of your program from a losing mentality to a winning mentality. Mm-hmm. You need good teammates. You know, you don't need kids who are jealous of other of other players. You want kids who support each other, who are excited for each other's success just as much as their own. You know, um, and that's how you create that family environment that we want here. You know, in our program in our locker room. So, um, it's been a lot, you know, 18 years coaching, um, this game, this career has given me a lot. Um, you know, the one thing I tell people is without basketball or coaching, I wouldn't have been able to visit 48 of the 50 states. You know, I've been to 48 of the 50 what states. What states have you been to yet? Uh, North Dakota and Mississippi huh. are the only two. You know, and I have no desire to go to those places. <laughs> if I end up going one day, great. But um, I'm sure at some point, if those are the last two, I'll probably just go just to say I, I've been <laughs> there. Just you went. But I was, you know, at first it was kind of a bucket list thing, maybe to visit all 50 states. Mm-hmm. Never thought it would be possible. And then now, you know, as I started going to more and more, it's like this is might be might be doable so mm. it's just one of those little things you think about but again you, you take it for, you know I don't take it for granted you know because I was able to again visit 48 of the 50 states and see all different types of people mm-hmm. you know coming from Hawaii which is an island isolated mm-hmm. you know and being able to interact and meet people from all different cultures and different backgrounds mm-hmm. Um, that's been a huge experience for me, you know, just knowing 
this is what it's like in the Midwest. This is what it's like in the Northwest. This is what it's like in the Northeast. This is what it's like in the South, mm-hmm. you know? You can tell, not that you judge people, but you can just tell how people are, you can kind of tell where they're from or how they are after talking to them for five minutes, you know, or seeing how they act, and mm-hmm. how, you know? So um, being able to meet so many different types of people, you know, in, during my career. I mean, when I was on the men's side, having coaches willing to help me, um, coaches who you I would never think or people would never think would say a word to me I mean I've got to sit with Roy Williams hmm. you know and talk basketball with him I've got to sit with Eddie Sutton you know and he actually talked basketball with me uh, Quinn Snyder from Missouri you know um, just meeting all these big time coaches you know being able to just pick their brains about different things that's invaluable hmm. you know I mean I got to shake Dean Smith's hand in his final game. That's crazy. <laughs> in his final season when he, we played him in the NCAA tournament, you know, and I mean, just, and there's a picture, I, I have a picture with him and just to say, I mean, Dean Smith is kind of like one of my mentors, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I've read a couple of his books and mm-hmm. I just believe in the way he, he believes, you know, and so um, a lot of my coaching style and philosophy is based on his principles, you know, um, and so that was a huge, you know, um, opportunity for me just to be able to shake his hand and, and meet him so this game and this career has given me so much and as you get older you realize it's your duty to give back you know um, and that's all I want to do you know from here on out you know I just I'm doing this and because I want to do it it's my passion um, but I feel like honestly my attitude is I actually get to coach and get to work with kids and get to practice every day not I have to go to work today. Yeah. You know, I can't believe sometimes that they pay me to do what I do. Because <laughs> I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. You know, so the fact that they do pay me for this, this makes it all so much better. You know, um, I couldn't ask for a better profession, for a better career. Um, but again, the opportunity to really mentor and to guide this generation of kids and keep them on the right path. You know, letting them know that the four years you're in college, the basketball, it's all great. But lessons you take from it and what you do in the classroom are going to determine your future. You know, um, life is not just sports. You know, it helps you, um, especially college sports. It helps you understand how to work with teammates, how to work with coworkers, um, how to fight through adversity when things don't go your way but this real world is it's a different animal <laughs> you know it really is <laughs> I tell my siblings that every day yeah every day it is and you know at the end of the day if you think I'm tough where do you get a boss who doesn't care about any of your excuses and only wants results and if you can't provide it they'll find someone who will you know if you can't come to work on time you know, if you show up late for a job interview, why would you think you're going to get the job? You know, it's just those little things that, you know, you try to instill in these kids, um, the life lessons you try to teach. And that's what I pride myself on is, you know, trying to just let them know what's acceptable and not, you know, how to, how they can become better people. Because um, one day they're going to be in a position to lead. That's what you hope. You know, you want to hopefully mentor them so they can become a leader one day and do the same for others paint it paint it forward basically 
you know, um, and they're not all supposed to gonna be leaders, you know. You realize that, um, and it's okay to be a follower, um, and I always tell them, but just make sure you follow the right leaders, mm-hmm. you know. Don't get caught up with the wrong people, you know. Don't don't follow the ones who you probably shouldn't be following, mm-hmm. you know. See the ones who do it the right way and follow those people, um, but you're never gonna please them all. You know, that's the one thing I've learned. Like any business, company, corporation, anywhere, you know, even families, right? Someone's always going to be unhappy Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. But um, you try to make it as fair as possible. You know, my motto is be firm but be fair. Um, And, uh, you know, just, again, just being able to guide them and show them what it's going to be like. um, And not baby them. Um, not hold their hand to it. Let them make mistakes. Let them figure things out. Because um, if they've never been through any type of adversity their whole life, it's not going to help them. They have to fail in order for to succeed. You know, they have to struggle. Because if you don't struggle, you're never going to be hungry enough to want more. You know, um, if you've always given, you've always been given everything every time you've needed it or asked for it, mm-hmm. then you're going to be entitled your whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, you I mean, not entitled, but you're just you're gonna be get used to having things all the time, you know. And you and I can sit here and go again, the real world. That's not how it works. Yeah. You know, you're not just giving stuff. You gotta earn it. You gotta work for it. What would you say is your most difficult moment as a coach came from? Most difficult like moment. That? Uh. Yeah, I think. Well, not necessarily just that. I think. A tough moment for me, like I said, was this year losing 20 games in a season. You know, trying to figure out how can we win a game? You know, how can we at least, you know, because I feel bad for the kids. You know, they're competing and giving all that they have every night and the results just aren't there. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you don't want them to start questioning, you know, you know, are we ever going to win again? Because, I mean, you know, you want them to have some kind of positive attitude and think, all right, if we, you know, if we can at least compete tonight we'll have a chance mm-hmm. you know or are we just going to lose again tonight and to their credit these kids believed every night you know and we were we were short-handed this i mean we were a high school team we had one kid six foot i mean you've seen us play we had yeah. one post player and our backup post was a freshman who wasn't even a post player because she was 510 she had yeah. she was she post had by default she right? had to. <laughs> <laughs> so when our post player was out of the game we were 510 and under you know that's tough so but to their credit, again, we were never out rebounded all year. You know, we finished the season, I think, right at even, and we were positive up until the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started, you know, you know, once you get out rebounded a little bit. But again, it caught up to us. But I think that was tough. Um, it's always tough when you're trying to change a program, when you're trying to change culture. Because, you know, when you I did it in '07, did it again in 2011. Okay. No, 2014. 07. And then uh, I left in 2011, and then I took the central job in 2014. So seven years apart, and then four more years after that. So you're looking at, again, just different generation, right? From 2007 to 2018, yeah. 2017, that's, that's 10 sure. years. Yeah. So, um, but I think the biggest, yeah, those are the biggest challenges, trying to change the programs, and then trying to reach every kid, because I'm the type I, I want to. You know, I don't, I just don't want to fail them. You know, and I feel like, okay, 
it was tough reaching her today. I'm going to reach her tomorrow. You know, I'm going to reach her next week. And you keep trying. You keep trying, right? And it wasn't until I read... I'm big on quotes. You know, I tell our kids quotes all the time. And it wasn't until I read this one quote, and it really resonated with me, where it said, you know, I'm not quitting on you. Um, I'm not giving up on you. Um, hold on. I can't even remember right now. <laughs> Let me think. I'll get back to it. But... Um, Oh, I'm not giving up on you because I don't care. I'm giving up on you because you don't. Wow. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, when I read that, I was like, huh. You know, because you, you can spend hours and days and months and weeks, you know, just trying to reach a kid and trying to help a kid. And if they're not going to help you help them, how much more can you do? You know, at some point, because I think when you invest so much time and energy in one kid, it hurts the other kids. Because you're spending so much time with them, you're not giving enough time to the other kids who might need it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that was the hardest part for me is knowing when to cut the cord. You know, I want to say, all right, I've got to move on. Right. You know, I think I was always, I always felt bad. You know, I think early on in my career, I didn't cut anybody. Hmm. You know, and it... And then I realized I can't, you can't do it this way, you know, because you got to cut dead weight. You know, the kids who aren't going to grab a, an oar and row the boat. Those are drag along. Yeah. yeah. There's, you know, you, there's dead weight. you got to toss them overboard, you know, and get kids in who want to paddle. You know, and I think that's the thing that you learn, that I've learned, and the toughest thing is because you never want to quit on a kid. But at the same time, you know, if they're not going to buy in, they're not going to do what's asked of them. You know, how much more can you count on them? You just can't. Mm. And especially in this kind of business that we're in, where your livelihood or my livelihood is in the hands of 18 to 21-year-old kids, how they perform, mm-hmm. the decisions they make. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, is it my fault if a kid stays up all night and goes partying before a game the night before? I mean, I, of course... We hope they don't do that, but it's hard for me to monitor them 24 hours a day, you know. So I'm relying on them to make the best decision or decisions off the court. And again, that's why you recruit character. Mm-hmm. That's why you recruit kids who care about school, who care about basketball, who understand why they're here, you know. It's for those two things. It's school and basketball. You want to party, you want to do other things, just go be a student. Don't play basketball, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, I think that's the tough part is knowing that some kids, you guys, you got to you gotta let them go. You know, I think that's been the hardest for me because I'm the type who, no, I can do it. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can help this kid, and I want to help this kid. But, you know, the ones who won't let you help them, I think that's the tough ones. What would you say is your, the most memorable moment of your career up to date? Uh, most memorable moment, uh, was probably, Ooh, that's a tough one. Good question. (laughs) I would say, um, probably getting this job would be a good memorable moment for me. I think recently I'm just thinking of that because it's always been a goal. You know, it's always been, you know, I remember it's so funny story in college. I took a class and we had to write, um, 
it was kind of it was a sociology class. I don't remember the title, but it's a lot of athletes in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, I had to write a, uh, I guess a little thing on, what I was, gonna do as a career, you know, mm-hmm. your profession, and um, you had to really think about it and you know write why you want to do this and how you're gonna achieve it, and um, I you know obviously I put down I want to be a college basketball coach. That's my goal. And uh, it's funny because while I was coaching at Colorado, I had a couple of players who took the class, and they said the teacher used my example because hmm. I was living out what I said I was doing. And I thought that was funny. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, I think, um, you know, I always had this in the back of my head, even when I was at, in Hawaii at a Division two school. It's like, ultimately, I just want to coach basketball at the highest level and be successful. You know, and that was my first goal. And now it's, now that I'm here, I want to use the position I'm in to help kids, um, to mentor kids, and to just, I realize I'm in a unique position as well, being, um, you know, my, with my ethnicity. You know, being an Asian American, there's not many of us. Not at the coaching D1. Not Division One basketball coaches, yeah. you know. I think someone told me the other day I was the only male Asian American Division One head coach in the country. Wow. Yeah. So, and not to compare it to, but I kind of feel like when I was told that, I kind of, it's kind of added pressure, right? It's, <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, because uh, if I do well, maybe it opens up doors for other people. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of good coaches out there who are mm-hmm. Asians, Asian Americans. and But if I fail, maybe it doesn't help them, you know? And it's not on, I'm not on the scale of a Jackie Robinson or anything, but being that first person, how I perform or not perform might have a direct or indirect, you know, correlation to other people of, you know, my ethnicity. So I just feel like I have, a, you know, I don't, I don't think about it like that, but I, I understand that I do have a responsibility. And like I said, a lot, I know a lot of coaches, you know, and there is even an Asian Coaches Association okay. um, within the WBCA okay. and the NABC as well um and um you know we meet every year at the final four um so it's a it's a pretty pretty unique opportunity to be a part of that but you know you see that you know i think i think it started out you know and i don't want to go into politics or anything but you look at even professional sports right you look at football and you always talk about 80 percent of the athletes are african-american But none of the coaches or owners are. Yeah. Right? If that, like, one or the Steelers yeah. head coach or something like Tomlin, that. Tomlin. Yeah. And then, I don't know who else. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, so why aren't, are, are, are they not qualified? <laughs> you know? Um, and he's done really well. Mm-hmm. You know, Tomlin's done really well at Pittsburgh. So, but, you know, you, and how many have there been in the past, you know? And so it's like the ones who are successful and the ones who aren't. You know, you Mike Singletary coached the Bears, right? I think Romeo Cornell was with the with the Browns. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I mean, they're all they're all great coordinators, but for some reason, why can't they get a shot as a head coach? You know, so it's 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 stuff like that. But anyway, I just you know I, 
I've had some of my colleagues come up to me and be like, oh, yeah, I hope you do well. If you do well, maybe I'll get a shot. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. That's you know, to see. yeah. So it's just, and that's not like I feel a ton of pressure, but I just, I, I realize that now. You know, this is bigger than me. It's bigger than okay. I'm here, and honestly, I didn't think about it like that before. When I was, to me, this this was my job. You know, and not necessarily just my job. But this is what I do. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about okay. I'm the only one of this, or I'm I'm the only person who this. You know, and then when people tell you that, you think about it. You're like, wow, I guess so. Now, do I have a bigger responsibility because of that? Probably, you know. Um, but that wasn't why I do what I do. You know, it wasn't my whole... You know, I wasn't thinking, well, I want to do this so I can be the only one. You know, it just so happens. Yeah. You know, for me, I'm just doing what I want to do. You know, and I didn't even realize that. So, um, so I think that's a proud moment. You know, something that I've achieved. Um, and just under, just knowing that I can do... The things that I've done, you know, with all the people who doubted me, you know, because there's a lot of people to this day, you know, who want to see me fail. Mm-hmm. I think that's what anybody who's doing stuff, yeah. you know, they, you always have those people out there who, well, I didn't get that job or, you know, why'd they hire him? Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to do well there. They want to see you fail for whatever reason, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so it's just, uh, you know, but I I feel blessed. I feel privileged. I feel I'm lucky, you know. Like I said, it's it's a lot of luck, um, being at the right place at the right time. Uh, definitely a lot of faith, mm-hmm. you know, and just um, a lot of hard work, you know, perseverance, you know. Because there was there were definitely days I felt like not quitting, but just like, is this what I really want to do? You know, driving back and forth. You know, when I when you when you're not at the D one level, it's tough. You know, it's really tough. You know. Because you don't have the full-time staff that you have at this level. Mm-hmm. You do everything, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, to the point where you got coolers in the back of your car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're transporting the equipment, yeah. you know. So it's just, is this what I really want, you know? Is this worth it? And, uh, of course, the answer is always yes, you know. Because when you have a passion about something, it doesn't matter. It's not work to me. This is what I wanted. This is just part of what I do, so... Um, I'm lucky to be in a position I'm in and the more people I can help and influence I always want to do do that and it's not just my players but my staff as mm-hmm. well you know I was always want to help my staff because I want them to be successful and this is what they truly want to do so I do want to mentor them um, I've been fortunate to have three former assistant coaches who are now head coaches that's, you know that's pretty good yeah, yeah. so um, you know that's something I'm happy about you know, that they've been able to move on and do what they want to do it, you know, what they're doing. So, um, but again, I, I just feel like I'm in a unique position. I'm blessed and I'm just excited to the future, my future. I don't know how much longer I can do this. I hope, <laughs> I hope for a long time, you know. Um, I, you know, part of the reason why I love what I do is because it keeps me young because mm-hmm. he's being around the young kids. Mm-hmm. Um but when I try to do things, I see how old my body really is. <laughs> is that what first made you like switch over from being like a, a player? You're like, hold on, hold on, my body can't take yeah. this. <laughs> well, it was, it was funny. I mean, honestly, when I went to Navy, I would practice a lot because mm-hmm. um, we had a post player who was pretty good, and you know, none of the players on the team could guard her, so I had to guard her and practice against her, and it was it was good exercise for me for a while, and then. 
Year two, uh, yeah, it was fine. And year three, I was like, oh, oh I'm no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, um, but the kids like it when I when they know I'm going to jump in a drill and stuff. And Usually, yeah. Yeah, they get fired up. And I always tell them, oh, I wish you'd hit somebody else as hard as you hit me. <laughs> they learned from a point. <laughs> you know? That was exactly. a point. So, but no, it's fun. Um, I feel like I can relate to the kids because I'm still young at heart. and mm-hmm. um, But I can also give them some wisdom as well. And, it's just funny. I'll I'll talk about some things. I'll show my age, and they'll look at me funny, like, "What's that?" I'm like, "You don't know that." <laughs> you know, it's like, "Wow." That's hilarious. How old are you guys? What? <laughs> if you could sum up your career in one word, what would it be? Ah, fortunate. I think fortunate. You know, like I said, I've been blessed. Um, you know. I just feel like, you know, without getting too much into religion, but I feel like there's a higher being that's been looking after me my whole career. I've been lucky. I've been successful everywhere I've been. You know, and that's rare. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone to a lot of postseason tournaments, NCAAs on both sides, men and women, you know, um, at all levels. There's coaches, I have friends who have coached just as long as I have, never been to a postseason, never been to an NCAA tournament, you know, so I've been lucky, I've been very fortunate, um, like I said, doors have been opened for me um, at the right time, and, um, you know, I had the courage to walk through those doors, um, but again, it's just, you know, fortunate to have been in good places, worked for good people, worked with good people. Um, at the last this long, you know, in a career that, you know, it's, like I said, it's it's tough mm-hmm. to last in this career, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not in the right positions, in the right places. Um, I've had good people, like I said, good people around me, whether they're assistant coaches, staff members, co-workers, bosses, who believed and supported, and um, we're always on the same page, so... But yeah, just, you know, every day, every year that you can still come to work every day, you definitely feel fortunate, especially when you see so many, you know, every year you see people you know, you know, no longer coaching or things happening, and mm-hmm. it's just like, wow, you know, you kind of just count your blessings, at least I still have a job, you know, so I think the fortunate, I think is the right word. People don't differ in their desire to be successful. They only differ in the price they're willing to pay for success. And basketball, like any other sport, is a blessing when you have the ability to compete every day. Players, appreciate every single time you step out onto the court to compete, because not everyone has that opportunity. Remember that it's a privilege that many of you are fortunate to have. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you have someone in mind that has a story that you think should be heard, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the game behind the game and leave us a message. If you have any questions or comments, email us at gamebehindthegame@gmail.com. at gmail.com. In the meantime, help spread the word to anyone that you think may enjoy and or benefit from this podcast. And if you haven't yet, go to either Apple or Spotify podcast to subscribe, rate and leave us a review. Your input and experiences are what keep us going. 